arising from the light of the moon with the feminine force that fascinates and frightens its Dracula's daughter. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. know how there's a little mix up here so what was she born a vampire or did he turn her into a vampire because mm. it, it's implied that she's only been dead for a hundred years and dracula has mm. been alive dead for 500 years according to van helsing yeah. so 400 years into his death he had a kid or no about that and then he <laughs> and then she turned into a vampire so First off, Universal's got to get their lore right, because this is very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. This is the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Dracula's daughter. With me today, I've got the wooden arrow through my heart, Alex. (laughs) And I've got the lipstick wearing Sandor, I mean, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, Alex, um, I am excited about Dracula's Daughter because it's the first one for me that I have yet to – I really knew nothing about it. Like, I knew stuff about all these other films, but I knew nothing about Dracula's Daughter going in. So, I had no idea what to expect. But before we get into our film introduction, Alex, any uh, AMA – type of questions that we've gotten recently that, that we can chat about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I've got this one from just um, nothing about, nothing about losing fingers again. Okay. Nothing about fingers. <laughs> no, no, no losing fingers questions this time. No. Um, and so, all right, I've got one actually from Michael Hamilton. He actually called in last week. I asked for those questions. We didn't mm. get them in time, but he actually called in uh, while we were recording to give us, he left a voicemail. He left he a did. voicemail he on did. the line. He, Yep, here's his, here's his question for you, Eric. One time listener, first time caller. I uh, just wanted to know if you will ever convince Eric to review an Adam Sandler movie on the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking my question. I will talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> All right, so that was, that was Michael Hamilton's question. Eric, can I convince you to watch a Adam Sandler movie for the podcast? Well, first up, Michael, I just want to take a second and say thank you for calling. Um, <laughs> we always love your questions, and, and we appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, second of all, uh, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> now, Eric, hold up, hold up. Adam Sandler just did a, uh, he just did a Halloween movie like a year or two ago where I think he fights against some supernatural forces. And also, little Nikki has a lot of supernatural stuff too. So <laughs> oh my god! We have got some pretty good options for an Adam Sandler movie in the future. Oh boy! Well, I tell you, Alex, on our we, we we might we can always do something for MVM Plus, right? Like we um we've I just mentioned Adam Sandler a minute ago in our MVM Plus discussion with Punch Drunk Love. It's not that all Adam Sandler movies are bad. 
It's just that 90% of them are. So, <laughs> uh, there's, there's the occasional gem, uh, but like uncut gems. I haven't seen that actually, so I can't speak to it. But I've heard good things. Mm-hmm. There's the occasional movie where he actually takes on a role that showcases his talent. Mm, like most of the time, Adam Sandler, Sandler chooses roles that showcases um, his desire to uh, earn some money. That's what I'll say. <laughs> now, Eric, do you want another listener question that we got? Let's do let's do one more listener question before our introduction because okay. I know I've probably disappointed everybody with my Adam Sandler hate. All right, all right. So let's see. Um, Kai, oh, here's one. Kaiju Ramen Media asks, "Will you ever get Eric to watch to review an Adam Sandler movie?" Now I'm sure they're not <laughs> have anything to do with Michael being over that. <laughs> uh, I. The answer to that one is no. Again. All right. So I guess we'll do a third one. Fine. Yeah. Do um, a third one. So, oh, all right. Terry Vickery. Um, mm. He asks, if you could be, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? All right. Mm. Oh, the old schoolyard question over here. Actually, the schoolyard is who could beat who, which we covered like a week or two ago. Yeah. In spectacular Silver fashion. Godzilla. Yeah. yeah. Uh, super, super power. Uh, I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. It's not invisibility like the invisible man. No. Uh, Why would he do that to yourself? I don't know. I don't know. It would just, it would have to be flight. Like that, that's what it would have to be. I think, Hmm. uh, flight for me. Interesting. Okay. Um, I would trump your flight. Okay. With what is essentially invisibility and flight. And that is teleportation. If I could teleport anywhere in the world immediately, I don't have to worry about flying there and getting caught up in mm. some plane engine or, you know, getting a, a crow to the face or something like that. Um, I can just warp there. And not only that, I can go wherever I want, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have these stupid mm-hmm. limitations that, like, Nightcrawler has. I have to see where I go. No. Oh, you just <laughs> I go wherever I want. It okay. is. Yeah. All right. So you're like Goku. Oh, yeah. Good point. It's yeah. a transmission. There we go. Um, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I think flight. Uh, if you're if you have Superman levels of flight, you can go anywhere really pretty quickly, and you can dodge just about everything. So, hmm. I, I like flight. You can get some pretty interesting perspectives with flight. Where uh, I think it'd be pretty pretty fun. I guess with teleportation, I was thinking. You could just teleport. Like, let's say you wanted to get a really high perspective of someplace. You just teleport up there and do a little skydiving for a minute and then teleport back to the ground. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you're fine. It's kind of like you can fly anyway. Yeah, I think you got a good point there. I could just get one of those little squirrel suits, teleport up next to you while you're flying around, and glide down. And then I can just do it over and over and over again. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about, like, awkward landings because you'll just teleport out of it. <laughs> I I have solved literally everyone's question about this superpower thing. You know, a lot of people are like, flight, strength, whatever. <laughs> no, I can teleport and do whatever I want. Okay, so I don't need strength. I can teleport a brick wall in front of somebody. Stop. Boom. Done. Dead. I, I like your mocking voice today, Alex. You've used it several times already in this episode. <laughs> flight. <laughs> 
So uh, I'm glad great. I could solve this once and for all. You know, reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know what your favorite uh, superpower you would do and why, and why it's better than the other ones. Mm. But yeah, and you, you tell just us agree which with Adam me. Sandler movie we should review as well. <laughs> I can't wait to put. <laughs> and that the chances out. are just about zero <laughs> that we will review any of them. All right, Eric. Whatever <laughs> you say. <laughs> Let's get into this film, shall we, Alex? <laughs> Let's do it. After the success of Dracula, many different studios wanted their shot at a sequel. But ultimately, Universal won out with James Well returning to direct another horror classic. Ultimately, however, after James Well included too much homoeroticism for the censors, and after a few other mix-ups in casting, Lambert Hillier took control, with Otto Kruger and Gloria Holden as the leads. But what makes Dracula's daughter distinct is its sole focus on the drama over the special effects. Did you find yourself missing that spectacular element, Alex? Or was the drama enough for your fulfillment? Well, first off, I, gotta, I have to ask a question. What's a casting mix-up? Like, does do two actors show up to play Van Helsing <laughs> on set? And they're like, uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, mix-up, I was just meaning um, uh, change-ups. Okay. Right, people, people saying that, like Bella Lugosi, for example, <laughs> was um, Bella Lugosi, as you like to call yes, him, Lugosi. was was going to actually be a part of this movie for real at the beginning. Instead, what we get is a wax figure, right. Alex. Um, but he was actually going to be a part of this movie, and and an interesting piece of trivia was paid twice as much for not appearing in this movie, but allowing himself to be a wax figure than he was for playing his role in Dracula. So, wow, that's that. when you know yeah. your stock has significantly gone up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, but what'd you well, think? Was, yeah, were you missing the spectacular element, or was the drama enough for your fulfillment? So. I gotta say, all right, th- this fright was quite the delight. Mm. Yeah, so this drama was enough for my fulfillment. You know, no one talks about this film, right? So I assumed that it was subpar in the general consensus sort of way. But this movie is surprisingly good. Yes, we are missing some awesome effects, and the cool things we do get use get here are just reused sets mm-hmm. from the first film. Um, and I'm maybe even Frank, it almost looks like Frankenstein's castle. Um, but <laughs> the drama here is really well done. The pacing is excellent and the characters are all just very, very interesting. Not only that, but the goofiness of the comedy is at an appropriate level throughout most of the film. Um, and not only that as well, but the tragedy is there and it hits in ways the original Dracula only kind of vaguely hinted at. Yep. It's kind of something that you and me were searching for and kind of hoping it would dig more into, but Bella Lugosi just couldn't. <laughs> his performance hinted at a sadness underneath the surface, but you and me were both kind of wondering if that was just a miss, a missed, uh, a misinterpret of his performance or what. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I, I could keep going on about. Yeah, this one. But, you know, how how did you feel about it? Well, the more I do think about it, the more I think this is a sneakily 
good film. Uh, what I mean by that is that it just creeps up on you and it just keeps building and building into something that is quite impressive and honestly pretty groundbreaking for vampire and monster films. Mm-hmm. And that starts with what you were saying, Alex. It starts with the lead, which may be more interesting character than Dracula himself because Countess Zaleska, the daughter of Dracula, is wrestling with her position as a vampire and wants to rid herself of this affliction. And you can feel this conflict as she literally tries to rid herself of her past and burns the remains of her father. I'm not without my quibbles, which I'll get into in a second, but overall, I found myself invested in these characters by the film's end. Even Jeffrey Garth, who initially I thought was as stiff as could be and lacked all personality, he really grew on me as we ended up getting a real character arc with his character from this mm-hmm. nonchalant, manly man who really acted this way towards his secretary, Janet, to someone that was willing to sacrifice for her, to save her, uh, as he comes to realize the horror in front of him. And this arc also corresponds with his initial disbelief in Van Helsing to ultimately needing Van Helsing's help. It's that slow build um, that I think just really brings out an awesome performance. I, I It's the fact that I wasn't sold on him at first, and at, by the end I am sold on him, that tells me that that was a great performance. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, these performances are all top-notch. They, they hit it out of the park just from really beginning to end for me. My favorite character dynamics, though, are the ones that I would never have guessed that I would have loved so much. And mm. that the n- number one for me is Janet and Dr. Garth's relationship. It is so yeah. playful and charming uh, and funny. Like it, it's actually funny the way that the, the one upsmanship of their, I guess, pranks and treating of each other. Um, mm-hmm. The whole scenario is very fun. The, 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 the phone uh, moment is in particular when she Quite calls cold. him while yeah. he's over there is really good. Like she just does such a great job. It's clear that they really do care for each other. Um, it's just very apparent in their performances. You can see it even when they are like <laughs> really ragging on each other. Um, but I am going to go ahead and say it. This dynamic between these two characters is my favorite so far between Mm. any two characters in the Universal Monster series so far. I just think it works flawlessly. And that by the end, I buy uh, Dr. Garth's willingness to sacrifice himself for her after all this bickering and all that stuff. um, It's just really a testament to the film and their performances. But then we're also treated to two other interesting dynamics in the film. That of Sandor and the Countess. Yeah. Which really displays how vile Sandor is. You know, he is the true bad guy of the film, which is interesting. It's not the vampire that's the bad guy, it's her human henchman. Mm-hmm. He is. And because he doesn't even want the Countess to succeed in bettering herself and becoming human, all he does is care about himself because he just wants to be turned into a vampire. And well, if she's cured. He, that can't happen. And to be the one to ruin that dream himself is kind of in its own way tragic. Now, I don't feel bad for him, but it's mm. this nice little bit of irony in the film. And then we get Countess and Garth. Uh, that 
and she just has this awesome portrayal of desperation and there's there's clearly this admiration between the two and they really play off each other very well and it just it really sells where we do end up at the end of the film and just makes everything believable Mm. Uh, I feel like, I, again, I could just keep going on and on about it, but, you know, <laughs> how are yeah, you feeling you're about good. it? Yeah, you're good. I think I will speak to that dynamic in a second, but I also wanted to bring up another point, Alex. I think this might be one of the first films to feature fan service. Oh, um, interesting. We get a scene that is almost identical to the one in Dracula when the first body is being examined in the medical room. Oh, yeah. And, of course, we get the Countess's echo of the famous Dracula line. I don't drink wine, right? <laughs> that sort of nudge is quite literally fan service, right? right? And actually, just like it does most times in modern films for me, it doesn't quite fit the tone of the film. <laughs> um, so I, it took me out of it, honestly, for a second. The other piece that I would question is the film's opening 10 minutes. Yeah. This film, to me, had the opposite problem that some of our early Universal Monster films had where they had a strong opening and a weak ending. Here we get a weak beginning and an incredibly strong ending. If it weren't for the beginning of this movie, in fact, I think we would look back at this film along the same lines of Bride of Frankenstein even. That opening, though, it just doesn't fit the drama that unfolds for the rest of the film. And honestly, I think that's why I I describe this film as creeping up on me. It doesn't get going until Dr. Garth is introduced about 15 minutes into the film. Instead, we do get that somewhat comedic bit at the beginning. We do get a continuation with Van Helsing's character. I just didn't find myself too engaged until we actually had some stakes involved with some characters that we started to care about, um, which we definitely do by the film's end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you again. Um, Cause it, those first 10 minutes, it is goofy. You know, mm-hmm. with these lackadaisical police and just all that. It's just, just it's very <laughs> strange and goofy. And I was thinking that maybe that's where this movie was going to go, right? Mm-hmm. That that was going to be the tone. But you're right. It just doesn't quite fit with the rest of the film. Because the rest of the film is great. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> though, I, I do love that this film redeems some of the failings uh, of the original. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I mentioned with Dracula's hint at maybe being pained at what he was doing. And honestly, the corrections in this movie remind me very much of the corrections Bride of Frankenstein had over its original film. Uh, you know, the complaints that I had with Dracula overall are pretty much all rectified here. Yes, our cinematography isn't as clever and mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and the effects are lesser. Yeah. But it is nice to return to the old set of the beginning of the first film. Um, But the film, you know, it actually makes vampires sympathetic and understandable. It also makes her suitably desperate and relatable in some ways. You know, the the parallel that the movie drives between alcoholism and vampirism feels appropriate. I love that they outright say this analogy because it does make you view her even more as a human, you know. Uh, when you immediately have that relatable connection there. Now, this is someone who wants to be better, you know, and she just cannot resist the temptation, much like a lot of alcoholics. Really, though, my only complaint about this whole film is that there's just not enough Van Helsing. 
<laughs> just you and your you and your Van Sloan uh, <laughs> bromance over here. Yeah, yeah. No, but honestly, though, he's in here the perfect amount because it lets all these other characters shine. Uh, because he doesn't need much time to shine. He's perfect the way he is. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm with you, Alex. All right. We, we, we've got enough of Van Helsing. I, I just wanted to say, thematically, we get that typical science versus supernatural thing. You know, the theme that we're, we're probably going to see a lot more. We've, we've come to expect it now in these films that Van Helsing is, is kind of at the heart of. But I think Dracula's daughter does something pretty interesting with that idea. In that Dr. Garth initially questions Van Helsing's mental sanity and believes that Van Helsing needs to be freed from his potential suffering. There's an attempt at understanding here, or at least an attempt at finding an explanation that puts the blame not on Van Helsing, but on something beyond Van Helsing, a mental illness perhaps. Mm. And and that kind of goes back to that alcoholism idea. We see the same idea in the affliction of the Countess, which you were talking about. She wants to rid herself of what she believes is a curse and believes Garth is the one to help her with science to rid herself of her powers. I think that's appealing and makes her a sympathetic character, both in Mm -hmm. the fact that she believes that she herself is not the answer, but others are the answer, and the fact that Dr. Garth might be drawn um, to her through his compassion for her, right? Right. one final highlight, Alex, that I just want to talk about for a second before we get into uh, our rotating segment and awards. That scene, uh, the seduction scene, I would call it, between the Countess and Lily. I think that was the moment where I was sold on this film. It starts with Sandor there finding this distressed woman, <laughs> right? Um, and and bringing her back. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that part, Alex? You're saying that the moment between the Countess and Lily is the moment you were sold on the film. I said, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> no, but but that this is the moment. I think is this is probably the most terrifying moment, like scary moment mm-hmm. in the film. He brings this distressed Sandor brings this distressed and vulnerable woman back to Maria, and then Maria is ask her to undress, right? Um, and she does to a certain extent for which what I would probably say modern audiences or I mean audiences at that time mm-hmm. would have considered this scene kind of smutty. <laughs> yeah. But I admire what it does actually to kind of stretch the limits. I mentioned in the film introduction that Whale was actually kicked off production after his script included too much homoeroticism. But this scene shows that at least some of it made it in even subtly. And I, I, I did think it makes an impression for sure. For sure. For sure. It's a great moment. It's uh tense, you know, you're rooting for her to overcome this, Yeah, but it becomes very quickly apparent that she just can't help herself. Yeah, no, it's, that's a great scene. Great scene. Um, for NVM plus today, Alex, we have a host chat. We haven't chatted in a while. So we take a pulse check on how we're feeling uh, overall, we'll talk about Dragon Ball. We'll talk about the ending of Game of Thrones. We talk about a couple movies we've seen. Uh, you've seen Licorice Pizza and the new Scream movie. You'll give your impressions on those. And we'll just be talking about what we've been up to since the start of the new year. But now, Alex, before we get yeah. into awards, we have got a new rotating segment that we would like to introduce called... Getting weird, getting weird with the 13th floor. With the 13th floor. <laughs> Let's get weird. 
with Cece from the 13th floor. Welcome in, Cece. Oh, hey. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And I'm excited to hear uh, how we can get weird with the 13th floor today. Did you notice that she didn't say hello to me? How rude. <laughs> I say it every day. No. Well, yeah. Alex told me that you guys were doing an episode on Dracula's daughter. I watched mm-hmm. a little bit of the movie with him last night. I thought it was a lot, little bit odd parts that I saw. That's what happens when you only catch the last five minutes. <laughs> I watched more than five <laughs> minutes. But anyways, I was like, okay, Alex was like, we need to add a segment on. We're thinking something 13th floor related, so it's kind of weird. And I was like, I could talk about Elizabeth Bathory, who is supposedly a real-life vampire that mm. we talked about on the 13th floor. So I could kind of recap just a little bit about her life, get your thoughts on it, Eric. Oh. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, so Elizabeth Bathory, you guys, she's a bad mamma jamma. She was bad news bears, Eric, and you probably would want nothing to do with her. Her nicknames were the Blood Countess, Countess Dracula. Some even claim that she might have been the original inspiration for Dracula. Ah. Yeah, so little known Mm -hmm. maybe fact there, but if you want to say her name as it's really pronounced, like it's not Elizabeth Bathory, it's Urgebet. Which I think it's very fun to say. Urgebet? Urgebet. Urgebet. Yeah, Urgebet. Urgebet. Right. She was born in 1560 in what is now modern day Slovakia to mm. this very wealthy family, but her parents were also bad mamma jammas. So she kind of grew up in this household that just did not really look, look upon life as like very important because they would treat their servants horribly. So she grew up in a household seeing servants being beaten all the time. So she kind of grew up with this really sadistic view on humanity and just, you know, people aren't people. Let's just kick them. So <laughs> let's just kick them. Yeah. That's my favorite quote of hers. <laughs> she, let's just kick them. She was not bad. But there's one story that was floating around that when she was little, and this was a common punishment if you were caught doing something bad back in the day but when she was little she's walking through town and this person who had been accused of stealing or something i can't remember exactly but as his punishment they were sewing him into the body of a deceased horse what? and they said that urgebet just laughed at that mm. so that's the kind of attitude that she had toward other people and then it got yeah. even worse when she married her love I can't remember his name. Now that I'm trying to think of her husband's Sandor. name. Sandor. <laughs> but she married this guy who was also known to be a very brutal soldier who just made her even more brutal. Like one of the things that he taught her after they got married, they got married at 15 and 16, by the way, and he gave her a castle. He taught her how to torture people. She's, she didn't have very many good role models in life. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he taught her one of the things that he liked to do for fun was he would take little pieces of paper and he'd stick them in oil and then he'd roll them up and he'd put them in between his servant's toes and he'd light them on fire. He just thought it was funny. So there's a little bit of wow. comedy there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he taught her how to do that. He taught her how to beat people and he gave her a clawed glove as a, a gift at one point. What's so a she glove? And, you know, you asked that in the 13th floor episode too. It's a glove with claws, Alex. <laughs> oh, a clawed glove. Yes. I did do this exact same thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, He's reliving. Ah. He's reliving. But 
She had this clawed glove that she'd beat her servants with. Then when her her love passed away, and they were married for like 29 or 30 years. So they were married for a long time. But after he passed away, then she apparently got even worse. And she kind of compiled what I call her murder crew. She had mm. all of these little friends that would help her murder her victims. She did have a demographic. She would go after, unfortunately... I mean, anybody. She shouldn't go after anybody. But she, she aimed to kill younger girls because she thought that it would preserve her beauty. The myth was that one, do- one day she got blood on her hand and she realized that her hand looked younger, I guess. Or she thought so. Because blood back then was thought to have these mystical powers to it. So she decided, oh, okay, well, I can murder and torture all of these people and get their blood, and then I can be beautiful and young forever. So mm. that's the myth. There's, It's hard to tell whether or not that's true, but she would go after like poor children that people might not necessarily realize were missing. And then mm. she worked her way up to targeting the children and daughters of nobility, which is ultimately what led to her downfall because she had this school called a gymnasium way back when where she would like basically teach these girls how to have manners and how to, you know, be noble. And next thing you know, all these nobilities daughters just started dying at the school and they're like, Hey, what the hell's going on? Which led to an investigation, obviously. And so they started looking into it. It was actually a local minister that stirred all of this up because the minister was like, it's very weird that almost every girl sent to this gymnasium ends up dying shortly thereafter. What a coincidence. Hmm. Yeah. So they did an investigation and supposedly when they went to go arrest her, there was a mutilated body in the hallway and they were torturing and working on killing two people in the little dungeon that they had. And so it's like, there's no denying that, you know, you did this. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So what? how many people did she kill? A lot. The guesstimate is between 80 to 600. <laughs> so there's a lot of wiggle, <laughs> a room, wiggle between room there. Um, but she is. She has been declared the most prolific female killer in history by Guinness World Records. But, what does uh, Guinness say that she has? What's, what's the number Guinness has? I think they said 600. They're the authority. I trust Guinness with my life. <laughs> Do you remember those books, those awesome books that they used to have in elementary school? Yeah, they're all shiny. Yeah, they're all shiny, or they had the covers that, like... They still make that. Did you know that Guinness Book of World Records still exists? It comes out every year. (laughs) I know what to get you for your birthday, Alex. So, so what did she do with the blood? Did she drink it, or what did she do? Uh, I don't know if she... No, she didn't bathe in it. That was actually a misconception. That was something that kind of spread. And this is the thing that's kind of hard. Like, this happened in the 1500s. So, anyways... Mm. After she got arrested, they apparently bricked her up into a room in her castle. She never faced trial. All of her murder crew basically got executed. But she just was put away and then ended up dying in 1614. But Mm, apparently there's a log of testimony when they were trying to collect evidence before they went to arrest her. And it's stored in some government building. Like, and it's it's pretty secret. You can't actually, you can go and read it, but it's hard to get a hold of. So... Hmm. There's supposedly you can read the testimony if you really want to, Eric. You're just going to have to travel to Slovakia yeah. to, to read it. Yeah. Or you could probably look online and find it. I try, Alex, <laughs> I tried to look online. It's not there. Trust me. Mm. That's just a little bit about Elizabeth Bathory. I talk more in depth in it 
on our first vampires episode. That's from- yeah. What's that? What's that called on the thirteenth floor? If people are interested in, in listening to more about that, what, what's the um, episode called? I can't remember the name of the episode. You can't remember. It came out on April twenty fifth. Oh, it's oh, oh Nosferatu didn't. <laughs> That's oh, the name Nosferatu. of the episode. <laughs> All right. Oh, great. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, coming on and sharing some of that with us. I, I think um, there's some opportunities in the series that we can get weird with the 13th oh. floor. So I hope I it wasn't it. too dark next time you'll have to have James on and he can talk to you about a werewolf or something. I don't know. Needs All that story needed was 100% more bathing in blood. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Cece. You're welcome. Let's move into our awards then, Alex. Compelling character award. Who did you have? Gotta give it to my girl Janet. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's cute. Okay, I'll give her that. But yeah, yeah. Janet, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but she Most, was... sometimes sometimes the the uh, these old school beauties. I'm like, oh, I, I I guess. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure women think the same things about like a lot of these men. They're like, oh yeah, that, but Janet, that, that that was the heartthrob back then. Janet he was like eighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Janet, yeah, she's she's got something going for her. Yeah, yeah. She's sure. definitely my favorite actress at this time <laughs> in 1936. <laughs> so, Janet, um, I I think her character is just so interesting, mostly because of all the antics and pranks that she's involved with she's just so funny and she's like totally a very relatable person i think for a lot of people when they're watching this movie because she's just so fun she's like that that friend that you know that just always gives you a hard time right yeah Yeah. just all is relentlessly grilling you Mm. and i i just love their portrayal of this character so I got to give her the most compelling and maybe even relatable character award. Mm. I like that. I like that. My character isn't quite as relatable, Alex. Uh, oh <laughs> and that is Sandor. Um, so I actually had a different take on Sandor's character. You said Sandor was the main villain. And yeah, yes. that's that's true, uh, especially at the film's end. But we get just enough information about Sandor and Sandor's role that we're kind of left like wondering what his relationship is like towards the countess. And we find out at the end before he decides to kill her, uh, that she had made promises to him, right? She had made promises to him for eternal life. Like his, his desires have been warped, uh, in some sort of way. So he has this whole interesting backstory. And I like this fact that we don't have to go into this backstory or go into this character too much in order to be interested in this character. Um, if this character were played today, Alex, by a modern actor, no <laughs> doubt. You know who I'm going to say? I don't know. Danny DeVito? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're 100% like, uh, right. 100% right. That That is the only actor that could play that character. I mean, I, I, are they not descendant? They might be. They might <laughs> right? be. Like, they just, it's like, whoa, that's Benicio Del Toro right there. Um so really interesting, interesting character. Um, yeah, I, I, Sandor does enough for me, even if he is is the villain. He's he's my most compelling character. I think it's a good pick. He's definitely interesting, and he does have the most mystery behind him. 
Yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, very compelling. So what about your most memorable line award? So <laughs> it comes from Van Helsing. It's the last line of the movie. As we see the lifeless body of the countess, he says, she was beautiful when she died 100 years ago. Um, mm. <laughs> it's just a nice final line to the movie. It was a similar line that he made about Dracula, but this line was it was even better. Yeah, that's a good one. It's not How about you? Mine. Um, I think it's Sir Basil Humphrey. I think, I think he's the one that's friends with um, uh, Van Helsing, and he's talking mm-hmm. to him, and they're kind of going over like belief versus uh, you know like what science and like what mm-hmm. what's in the realm of possibility, right? And and Van Helsing keeps bludgeoning the point that you know it's just not proven. So it's science. He finally gives way. He says, "Oh, very well. In deference to your position in the scientific world, let us say unbelievable," because mm. he kept saying it was like impossible and this type of thing. He's like, "Well, it's not impossible because I saw it. it just I just love that <laughs> he he had to concede this uh, minute point semantics words semantics yes. yeah." <laughs> Nice. Uh, what about your Can't Believe the Acting Award? Well, I, I don't think you'll be surprised by this one. I had to, I had to double dip a little bit this time. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'm saying her name right. Margaret Churchill? It just spelt very weird. Um, she did a great job as Janet. Again, um, her performance really lends to the cohesion of her and her relationship with um, Dr. Garth and mm-hmm. honestly that relationship would not have worked if Garth hadn't done such a stellar job as well yeah. um, so their two performances combined really made this movie exceptional yeah nice that, that's a good pick uh, I'm going to go with Gloria Holden as the mm. Countess uh, Maria Zaleska yes. so I read Alex <laughs> that this actress uh, Gloria Holden does not did not like this movie uh, and actually thought it was kind of beneath her and hmm. like when people asked her about it she would she would say like she didn't like the movie right um, really? and she was she was put off by a couple scenes um, and I actually think that's probably to her benefit in a sense in, in this performance because she is compelling and some of the times, maybe I, I can't tell if she's not interested or not because she seems pretty engaged when she's given this performance. But if she is ever disinterested in the scene at hand, it almost adds to her persona as this countess who who is a sympathetic character, but at the same time does have this aura of mythology, right? She's got this right. aura of invincibility. Um this godlike aura because she is eternal in a sense. So it's very interesting. I, I, I like her performance quite a bit. Uh, she did. She does a couple of weird things with the, with her eyes at times. And I was like, that's interesting. But besides that, like she really, you, you have to sell that performance um, in this lead role. And I think she does. Interesting. And it's, you know, it's weird. So I was looking at her filmography while you were, Kind mm-hmm. of mentioning that she was not all about this role. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised she looked so down on it. It was her third film role. Wow. Um, 
Hmm. Golly, the first movie she was ever in was called The The Return to Chando. It was three and a half hours long. She was uncredited. This is... She had no place to be. Oh, my gosh. This is like being embarrassed of your early movies. This is the equivalent that this has. Right, right. Yeah. No, I I get it. I get it. Uh, What about your, oh, that's a good shot? So, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier that we it feels like we may be giving up a little bit on really leaning into cinematography um, mm-hmm. in some of these moments, but there are still a few. Um, I, I really like the moment where we are, it's not a particularly great shot necessarily, but there's the moment of we, we're watching her face to see her reaction to seeing, I think her name was it Lily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lily's neck, right? And we're watching to see how she reacts. And that that little shot of her just staring at it, like you know, you know what's getting ready to happen. Um, I just really I found that image pretty compelling because it's filled with dread for the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you. Uh, I think I, I don't think the cinematography in this film is as standout as some of the others that we've watched. But I, I do think there's a subtlety to it. And one of the shots that, that impressed me was the shot of Lily laying in bed, uh, being hypnotized by Dr. Garth. Oh, there's this light that seems to circulate on her face and the whole, the, it's really the lighting of the scene that makes that scene, but it's a tense scene. It's a, it's a really tense scene as she starts to recall what happened to her and, and, pieces start to fall into place. And that's another way that just this film creeps in on you, just like it creeps in on Dr. Garth. This, the slow realization is the pieces fall into place that this woman that you've encountered, the countess is a threat. Um, really cool. And, and that was a particularly hypnotizing scene, Ooh. if you will, Alex. Yes. Yes. And also a lot of the visuals with her at the beginning, you know, it's like in the mm. weaker part of the movie, her with the black shawl yes, on. Yes. Uh, very cool imagery there Agree. as well. Agree. Um, unique award, Alex. I had the most belief in oneself award. Um, <laughs> do you know who I would give the most belief in oneself award to? I don't know. Oh, maybe. Uh... Come on, give us a Janet. I don't know why you would. It was. It was Janet. <laughs> yes. Uh, Janet, uh, in addition to being charming, definitely gains that charm by uh, belief in herself. Uh, yes. From the very like opening scene, like whenever she pulls up and, and picks up Dr. Garth, she's full of confidence, you know, it's like talking Definitely. about how all the other secretaries are beneath her, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, but in a playful sort of way, uh, it really does come from a sort of inner confidence that, that you like to see. She is not intimidated one bit by Dr. Garth and his prestige. Um, she holds her own completely. So most believe in oneself award goes to Janet. How yes. about you? Um, <laughs> I know you like that one. I do. It's my favorite award. Um, mine's going to be the O. So I guess Bella Lugosi is never coming back award. Uh, I got to give it to the Countess for burning his body and ensuring that he never returns to this franchise. Thanks a lot, Countess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that is uh, that is pretty definitive. <laughs> right? Because I, 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 I didn't know when... I figured they didn't play the characters for like the entirety. Mm-hmm. But... I thought for sure before I watched this that Bella Lugosi would be back. 
<laughs> is it, I, he might be still. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how the continuity happens here. He, I, yeah, we'll see. He, he might be. We could get prequels where him and Frankenstein have a romance. I don't know. <laughs> Frankenstein's monster. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, let's go to our, our final thoughts and tiered rating, Alex. I'll start us off. I think this is a top tier film, but yeah. maybe not quite. It's 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 tough. It, this one falls for me somewhere between the Godzilla and Gamera tiers. I would probably say it's a it's a top Gamera tier film because I don't have too many complaints about it except for the opening ten minutes, um, a couple small things th- throughout the middle, uh, but overall. I'm I'm impressed by these characters. I think some of these characters are the best characters that we've had so far in this Universal Monster universe. And I, I know that we probably won't get much more of Dracula's daughter or maybe even much more of this type of film. Uh, but I'm glad we have something that is so drama-focused and focuses on these dynamics of the characters. And I do think this film has some interesting things to say even if it does play along the same lines of uh, science versus supernatural that we've come to expect in these films. So overall, this is like top of my, my gamma tier films, uh, maybe reaching into Godzilla tier films, maybe on a second viewing, it would reach that level. Hmm. Okay. How about you? Yeah, for me, this is a definitely a Godzilla tier. Nice. This is one of my favorite ones that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's got some weaker moments with the the two aloof police officers at the beginning. But other than that, I mean, that's kind of where my complaints stop with the film. These characters are probably my some of my favorite depictions of characters uh, in this series so far. They're cohesive. Everything they do makes sense, and it really believes to it. It really leads to a believable finale. Um, where everyone feels appropriately motivated. Nothing feels short shrifted. I just really, I really enjoyed this one. This is a mm-hmm. quite the surprise for me. So this is a definitive, uh, Godzilla tier for sure. Nice. Yeah. I think thinking about the films that I've rated so far or that we've put into tiers so far, I, I say it's probably going to fall in that Godzilla tier for me as well. Probably towards the bottom of my Godzilla tier, but that's still pretty great. So yeah. I, I really like this one. I do. As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. We want to hear from you. Email us feedback at nvmpod at gmail.com or go to nvmpod.com to leave us your feedback on Dracula's daughter, on Adam Sandler, or on your favorite superpower. Send us your thoughts and we will read them on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. You become a bargain base my at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't help monetarily at this time, a review on your favorite podcasting platform always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms Cell Block B, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't suck on a homeless person's neck. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. 
You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Right? Did you think Louie was homeless? I thought <laughs> Louie I thought she Lily was a little... desperate woman that was about to kill herself by jumping off a bridge. Oh, I thought she felt a little homeless to me, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh